Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. You can listen and subscribe to the show for free on Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For network or show information, visit bikeradio.me. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Karen B. Johnson, and we'll be talking about um, her life as well as uh, her new book, Living, Breathing, Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief and Loss. And we're also going to be talking about walking through grief and loss in the new year. Karen Johnson's fast-paced professional life came to an abrupt halt when she lost her 27-year-old son, Ben, to a heroin overdose. Rather than grieve in a way that made people around her comfortable, she did the unexpected. She retired, sold her house and all of her household goods, and went on a -a two-and-a-half-year journey that took her all over the world finding a spiritual practice along the way. Karen didn't think she could ever find her way out of despair, but found a process that works, a sacred journey and map that she wants to share with others so they can heal too. Karen blends her personal story and meaningful experiences with each direction of the medicine wheel, offering exercises related to each of the four practices. Karen V. Johnson is a graduate of Georgetown Law Center, a former Fulbright Scholar in Afghanistan, and holds master's degrees in public health and public and international affairs. Karen is a retired federal administrative law judge, or she might call her a repurposed judge, who practiced criminal and energy law for more than 30 years. For more information, you can visit Karen's website, which is karenjohnson.net. And that's K-A-R-E-N-J-O-H-N-S-O-N.net. And that, I'd like to welcome Karen to the show. Good day, Karen. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to have you here. This um, this topic of, of grief um, and loss is one that is touched everyone in a very public way, you know, over the last couple of years, um, more so than usual. So this is a really a good, um, a a good topic. And and I I really enjoy the way you present um, grief and and loss and and kind of, uh, now, one of the things um, I, I, I want to start, you know, in the introduction, I mentioned that your life came to an abrupt halt when um, Ben um, died. So can you tell us um, a little bit more than I did in that 27-year-old, but can you tell us about that, um, who Ben was or, in essence, is? Yeah, so Ben is and was my um, son, and he and I were super close, and um, he, like many young men, was struggling to find their way in the world and, you know, struggling to start a business, struggling to decide whether to go back to college, you know, so many different things. And 
Um, but I had gone on a vacation to South Korea, and I knew that he was struggling, but I didn't know, um, I certainly didn't expect him to decide to try heroin. So he and a few buddies went out on Halloween and had a little too much to drink, and they all decided they were going to try heroin for whatever reason. He was a big guy, 6'8", and they just gave him too much. He died almost instantly. And it just completely uh, rocked my world. I just, I just couldn't cope. I couldn't deal with it. it. The heaviness of it and the horror of it was just, just too much. Uh, it's just, it was just way too much. And so the beauty of it is that um, after he passed, he actually came to me. He appeared to me while I was waiting in the airport in South Korea to get home. It took me almost 24 hours from getting that call you dread from a detective saying that your son has passed away and so here I am at the airport and he appears to me just like he was walking in the room with his big old goofy grin and then he disappeared and I called my ex-husband and I said oh my gosh you gotta go to the Emmy I think he's alive I think he's trying to get out I just saw him he came to me and so you know the Emmy very graciously looked in the refrigerator and said no I'm sorry he's he's gone and it was the beginning of my journey with spirits and spiritualism and realizing that there wow there really is life after death so and I yeah. a lot of people yeah sorry go ahead uh, I was just to say yeah because up to that point you're um if anyone were to ask you about life after death you would have been you know dead is dead right that is, that is terrible, right? But I just didn't, yeah, my parents had passed, but it was all in the normal uh, progression of things. But I never really had any experience with spirits in the afterlife or feeling any spirits from the afterlife. Um, um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a new thing for me. Yeah. Now, um, with... Ben, well, first of all, um, when I was reading in the book, it seems like Ben had a really rough start um, to life. Yeah. Um, you know, physically. So can you tell us a little bit about it? Because, you know, and then even at one point in the book, you mentioned that he seems to comment that he doesn't expect to live long, you know. But so can you tell us yeah. a little bit about that? What's and, and that possible, you know, precognition? Sort of thing, yeah. So he, when he was born, he was actually three weeks overdue, and then it became an emergency situation, and he, I had an emergency cesarean section, and it was almost like he just didn't want to come, <laughs> like he almost knew what he was going to go through. There, and so he, you know, he had his struggles in school. He had attention deficit disorder, learning difficulties. Then in high school, it was discovered that he had a back issue which ended up being like a hunchback. And this caused, of course, a lot of issues from him at school, so-called friends making fun of him and all these sorts of things. And he ended up with a huge, huge, huge surgery, 17-inch rods in his back to straighten his back and straighten the bones. And having to go to an alternate high school to finish high school, it was just really, really difficult for him. But I do remember even when he was younger, um, before high school, was sending him off, trying to send him off to camp, and he never wanted to go to camp. And um, he always wanted to stay home. 
And when I would say, you know, Ben, you, you know, you really have to do better in school and you need to go to camp and socialize and do all these things. And he would say to me, Mom, I'm not going to be here that long. I don't really need to know all these things. And I was like, of course you are. Of course you're going to be here, you know, and thinking this is just his child's mind trying to get out of homework or something. And But I think he really always knew and never felt that he really belonged here or that he was going to stay long. Yeah, that's what, you know, um, you know, when, when I read that to me, I mean, it, I've, you know, seen or I've heard it happen, you know, that there is that innate knowing, you know, that um, a child has, but but also it is um, it comes across as matter of fact rather than yeah. uh, you know than something that you know yeah that, you know that there's assuredness about it and and, and that kind of I don't I don't want to creepy but it's you know it's kind of yeah, it, it yeah. Take pause. Yeah, when I reflect on it, yeah, it was like it wasn't like you say it wasn't it wasn't drama. He wasn't saying it to make me mad or in you know, anger. He's just saying I'm not gonna be here long. I don't really know to know all these things. So, you know. Yeah. So now, with with um, there was was there ever any um hint of of heroin around then or you know, or, or any particular drugs, you know, you know, other than the, the ones that he had to, for his physical, you know, um, issues that he had. Yeah, for the surgeries and things, opiates. I, not yeah. that I knew of. Um, I think, mm -hmm. you know, the kids around him, and he probably experimented with some marijuana and things like that, but not heroin. Heroin I didn't know about. I could be wrong. I mean, I don't know. I don't know every detail of his life, but... Um, he wasn't an addict. Um, he wasn't, you know, what you think of in a traditional way of an addict. So I don't think it was a, um, I think it might have been a one-time thing or yeah, a few-time yeah. thing. Well, you know, it's a little different. Yeah. Well, you know, because I, mean, I had I mean, the ME. Oh, I was going to say I actually had the um, ME check for needle marks. Because I I wanted to know myself, and there was only the one needle mark in his arm, so which led me to think okay. that maybe it was his first time. Yeah, yeah, and just measured wrong. <laughs> um, or, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, now the um, subtitle of your book, "Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief and Loss." So let's first talk about grief and loss. Um, um, and, and you can indicate that, you know, identifying grief and loss is, is more than what people may think. So can you tell us um, your perspective of the two and, and the difference between the two? Sure. So grief we usually associate with um, death. It wouldn't have to be entirely associated with death, but traditionally, and loss is loss of any kind. But we can grieve many things. We can grieve a divorce or the breakup of a partnership. We could be grieving um, a child that's very ill. We could be in grieving a child who is actually um, using drugs and watching this child go 
down the slide into addiction. Um, so many different things that we're grieving and maybe the loss of our freedom, the loss of jobs, the loss of a business, the loss of certainty. I mean, parents now don't even have certainty whether their child is going to be going to school or learning from home, whether they can go to work that day or whether they stay home. So it, it, the world has become very uncertain. Can we go to a certain country? Can't we go to a place? It, should we take a vaccine? Shouldn't we take a vaccine? There's just so much uncertainty, and I think a lot of people just are surrounded with that kind of loss and grief that breeds hopelessness and despair. And so that's yeah. why... Yeah. So now, when it comes time to um, uh, alchemize, <laughs> I can play with that. Now, you know, I like that yeah. word. You know, basic. You're you're changing the energy of of grief and loss. So, tell us right. about the idea of you know using grief and loss as an energy that can even be alchemized. Right. Right. Yeah, so alchemy goes back to the, wow, the Middle Ages when they were busy, scientists were busily trying to turn base metals into gold. And I really like that sort of metaphorical look at the process of grief because in our society we don't deal very well with grief or loss. We tend to tell people it's time to move on, it's time to get over it, it's time to... Um, you know, go out now and start living your life. It's these things because we're very uncomfortable as a society with people who are grieving or um, experiencing some kind of great loss. And so those kind of cliches are often foisted on people. So in my journey oh, around the world talking with spiritual leaders of all kinds, it occurred to me, it was actually downloaded to me, this journey of the bereaved. So Grief is a is a journey. It's not a one-off thing. There's no time. It's our own personal journey, and it's our journey through transition, resurrection, and then rebirth. <clears throat> and so, we don't. Sometimes we need to find and sit for a little bit and think about why we're so stuck in our grief and what's really going on with us. <clears throat> Excuse me. There are a lot of books that'll tell you. Okay, it's time to. Don't want to date, you know, if you lost a spouse. It's time to go to a movie. It's time to go to a party. But it sort of begs the question, underlying question of where are you stuck in your grief? What is? What are the stories? What are the judgments? What are the attachments that are really holding you down and holding you back? And so in my book I have 16 exercises that takes the reader on that journey through transition to becoming unstuck, resurrection, becoming lighter, an awakening, and then the east direction, creating a new life out of the ashes of the old. One that can honor our loved ones. One that can help them on the other side to be free from our grief and loss and despair. When you look at grief as a journey, and it's a journey that has a lot of energy, then it gets a little, puts a little different perspective on it. So we know that other states of being uh, are transitional, like marriage, parenthood. We know they're life-changing. And we know that people that um, experience that, those thresholds, 
those great thresholds in life really do come into contact with energy that's life-changing. But with grief and death and dying as a society, we want to turn our back on that. We want to deal with what I call the wondrous wisdom of grief. The wisdom of grief that sets us apart, changes our life, not something we ever have to get over. It's something that is part of us forever, and it's life-changing, and it has energy, and we can tap into that energy. And it's good for us, it's good for everyone around us, and it's certainly good for our loved ones on the other side. And the same thing with loss of any kind. Loss, great loss can be a doorway. Pema Chodron, one of the great Buddhist teachers, talked about when pain is the doorway. And sometimes pain is the doorway into finding something new, creating a new life, being reborn. It certainly was for me. Ben's death was a big uh, rebirth for me, Uh, an an entryway into spiritual matters. And becoming a shaman along the way, that was beautiful, too. And, And just journeying and then being in touch with these great masters and Sufi masters and Hanuman at the Hanuman Temple and different churches and cathedrals and places that I visited that gave me this beautiful um, journey of the bereaved so that people mm-hmm. don't have to feel alone and they can they can know that they're in a process. Yeah. One of the, you know, one of the favorite, my, the quotes I used in the book that I, was one of my favorites was uh, uh, the famous author unknown, <laughs> that it was uh, pain is inevitable but suffering is optional. Um, yeah. You know, it's really um, kind of points to the distinction and just the recognition of it being suffering being an option. Um, I think um, is something that those who are suffering sometimes forget that that, that there is yeah. a choice. Yeah. And, and it's not easy. You know, it's not like it's, I think sometimes very, people say very simply, like, well, you just need to get over it. You choose differently. Right. <laughs> right? It's just not very um, comforting. So <laughs> in my, what I'd like to do is have people talk about these things like judgment, non-suffering, and their suffering in, in a ceremonial way, in a ceremonial setting with a candle and a pie pan and a piece of paper and a notebook, somewhere where they can sit and really ponder 16 big questions of life. Most of us spend our life walking around trying to avoid the big questions. I don't want to think about that now. I'll think about that later. I'm too busy. But Mm -hmm. in the end, they just hold us down and hold us back. And so we want to get out of our reptilian brain, the physical world, and into our neocortex the place of the soul, the place of prayer, a place uh, where we know that things move with the lightness of a feather instead of trying to move things in the physical world. So sitting and contemplating, so let's talk about non-suffering. So all the stories that are rattling around in your head, I should have done this, I could have done this, I didn't do this, I could have done this better. All these things, this one didn't help me. If that person had helped me, if this person had helped him, all these things, if you write down every single story, 
with the with radical honesty. And radical honesty comes in because you know you're going to burn your list. Nobody's ever going to find it. So if you really want to say that your mother or your father or your sister or your brother disappointed you, you can say it. You never have to worry about repercussions because you're taking it to God, the universe, whatever your concept of creation or the creator is, the universal consciousness, whatever it is, um, you're taking it there with the intention of releasing releasing these stories that are holding you back and opening your heart for newness, new ways to come in. And so yeah. it's, yeah, so if we never look deeply at where we are stuck and what's holding us back, we can't really be expected to move on um, right. or change our lives because we're carrying a big sack of heaviness. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's basically um, identifying, addressing the disease and not the symptoms. You know, it's, it's yeah, once you right. address the disease, the symptoms, how they manifest, you know, in your world will change. So, yeah. um, so often we, we kind of just try to use the Band-Aid approach, you know, to symptoms, um, but then... Right, so it's one thing to say I'm sad, and it's another thing to explore why you're sad. Do you feel like people are yeah. judging you? I certainly felt like people were judging me after Ben passed. You know, here I am, a judge, and my child dies of a heroin overdose, and other kids don't, and it's that judgment, well, my child would never do that. Oh, my child would never try any of that. You were too permissive. You worked too much. Right? All the things that I felt that people were projecting on me. And to release all that, too. And even judging judging myself. Judging my son, you know, to have an honest conversation. I was mad at him. I'm not too happy with him. I wasn't that happy at all. (laughs) To be able to work through it, we're angry at our loved ones. Yeah. Sometimes they refuse yeah, but, to go to a doctor. They refuse to. So you're kind of angry with them, and to be able to release that in a prayerful, ceremonial way really makes all the difference. It does. It does. You know, and um, you know, it's, it's the recognition that each individual's path is their own. <laughs> you know, it's their yeah. own. To own, you know, to to play out, you know, as they as they choose, and you know, and, and that you know that you have to recognize the the, the freedom to be able to do that. I, I believe, you know, yeah. and you know, and all of the consequences, and you know, all of the repercussions, all of the benefits, all of the joy, you know, that come as a result of the actions, you know. Is, I think how just how the universe plays you know, plays out the game. Yeah. 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 And just taking well, the time well, and having the time to sit with it. Yeah. Now, one of the things um, you know, you were talking about um, death and, and change in in any of the you talked about that you're embracing death as a radical agent of change. Um, you know, and I think 
I don't think there is anyone that would deny that death is uh, an agent of radical change. You know, I mean, it, it just is better where and when and all that kind of thing. But the idea of embracing it. So can you talk a little bit about, I mean, because that's like a, another step further than yeah. just recognizing. Yeah, it's this process of looking at death and saying, okay, you know, this happened. And it, it's not something you get at in the very freshness of grief. But something upon reflection, working through the various practices that you can say, okay, you know what, I I actually have an opportunity here. That kind of gives us the bereaved a little space of time where people are willing to let us do things they might otherwise find a reason to criticize. And it gives us a little space, too. Suddenly we can look around at our life and say, where did this life come from? I don't even like this. And I said for myself, I don't even, I really hate driving. I've been driving for 30 years in the second worst traffic in the country. I have boxes of depositions and papers stacked to the ceiling. I'm really, how did I get here? How did I get myself here? I haven't a house and a car and all sorts of things that really just burn through all my money and and take a lot for me to maintain and support and all of that. And so it, it gives, death gives you an opportunity to look at all that and ask, wow, the big question of life, why am I here? What is my purpose? And what would I do if I could do anything, if I didn't have to worry about money or or kids or uh, anything, if I didn't have to worry about anything, what would I do with my life? Ah, big question, right? And so the answer for me uh, was going way back to my teenage years when I wanted to be an archaeologist and travel the world. And so for me, I wanted, I decided I wanted to travel the world and I wanted to find out what different cultures had to say about grief and despair and loss and, and rebirth and regeneration and all these big questions and who am I in the scheme of things and who was my son. And so for me, death was that doorway that I wouldn't have seen open. Had my son not passed, and I always feel like it was a gift from him to me. I felt like, wow, he he gave me this gift, this opportunity to change everything, and and I did. There you go. We're <laughs> <laughs> um, about halfway through the show, Karen. So I want to take just a quick break, and uh, when we come back. Um, I want to talk about the uh, four winds medicine wheel, you know, and the role that that played in your book. Okay? Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Hello. This is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, 
along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,600 shows that we have had during the past 12 years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, nature photography, calendars, and 5x7 photo greeting cards. Our show is a free podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms on the top of our homepage. Our website, byteradio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone. Thank you for staying with us again today. My special guest is Karen V. Johnson, and we're talking about um, her new book, Living, Grieving, Using Energy Medicine to Optimize Grief and Loss. Um, you can find out more about Karen by visiting her website, which is karenjohnson.net, and that's K-A-R-E-N-J-O-H-N-S-O-N.com. And, and from there, you can see that uh, the various services she offers, uh, information about grieving and loss, a blog, and, and her book. So with that, uh, we're back. Karen? Hi, yeah. Okay, so um, I didn't mention the wheel, but I want to start with, um, you know, one of the um, the – uh benefits or one of the one of the changes that happened um with Ben's death is that you began to um I, I guess shift perspective and you know that you know before the you know whether there was an afterlife death or no that but then you had some uh I guess awakening maybe of Sensing. So, can you tell us about you know, how the clairs kind of came into the play? The clairs, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, right, an awakening, uh, it was a rough awakening. It was sort of like a complete deconstruction of self in many ways. And so, uh-huh. I had, I think I spoke earlier about Ben showing up when I was at the airport and I saw him as clear as day. And that wasn't the only time. Um, the entire, I'd say, oh, gosh, really, really intensely for six or seven months after he passed. I felt him around all the time, especially in the first couple of weeks. I couldn't hear him, but I could see him and sense him. So I was clairsentient and clairvoyant, but not clairaudience. Clairaudience is where you can hear. And so after about three weeks of just feeling him around me, and, I mean, I was really in bad shape. I mean, I would be throwing up on the steps. I couldn't make it upstairs. I would throw up until I threw up blood, and I couldn't get up the steps. So I was in very bad shape, and so I felt him fluttering around me frantically, frantically, like he was just around me all the time. And so I decided, well, I'm going to look up a medium and look up in the phone book, since I don't happen to know any medium, and see um, if if there's anybody that lives around me. And sure enough, there was. 
And so I went to, drove to the medium's house, and I went in, and I remember telling her, okay, he's standing right there, and I can see him, but I can't hear what he's saying. Can you tell me what he's saying? And so we had a very nice session with her. And from there she said, you know, you might have some skills yourself because usually my clients have no idea that their loved one's in the room or where they might be standing or that they could see them. And it sort of became a journey of self-exploration um, to really open up to mediumship training and the Kabbalah and, oh, just all sorts of things. And in a, in a way that just began to open my awareness. And then over time, I began to um, hear, hear um, him speaking and, and also other people that have passed. So, I always talk in my book about the experience of waking up in my room at night, and there's Ben standing by my bed and, and a whole bunch of other young people. And I'm like, what the heck? You know, and, and, you know when, they, when spirits know that you can see them, sense them, hear them, they often want your help. And But at that time, I didn't know how to help them. I hadn't gone to shaman school yet. And so eventually one time I said, okay, everybody out of my bedroom. And they left. And I thought, huh, okay. <laughs> and then I was walking down the hallway, and they were hanging out there, and I said, everybody, everybody out of the house. No, no spirits in my house except them. You know, I'm, I'm just, there's just too much to wake up to. And so, so bit by bit then I, I became, became aware of many spirits on the other side or just across the veil. And then as a shaman, I used to, I learned how to, help those souls to transition fully to the other side and work with them. <clears throat> so that was my experience with becoming all the players. <laughs> now, shamanism, what, you know, was it seeing them and not being able to hear or help? Um, is that what maybe may prompted you to pursue this? How did the pursuit of shamanism come about? Oh, yeah, okay, that's a great story, too. So after I was taking some classes and learning all kinds of spiritual and esoteric things, um, someone directed me to an evolutionary astrologer. And an evolutionary astrologer not only does your chart, but kind of gives you an idea of about your life. <clears throat> and so I remember him talking to me, and I didn't know anything about astrology and um, saying, okay, you're moving out of Uranus, shame, blame, and guilt into Neptune, into mystical practices. <clears throat> I thought, um, I don't even know what that would exactly mean. And he told me, well, someone else that had a reading like yours became a shaman. And I was shocked. I mm -hmm. thought, shamans? I thought they died out centuries ago. I didn't know if there were shamans, and certainly not anywhere outside of indigenous cultures. So I went and did what my left brain always did, went to Mr. Google <laughs> and Google <laughs> shamanism and up popped the Four Winds Society. And so the Four Winds has been just wonderful uh, training for me. And I actually now teach with the Four Winds. I teach the medicine wheel and, and I see clients and I help people transition uh, their loved ones and and just do all the normal shamanic work, like soul retrievals and extractions and illuminations and just all the, the kind of 
otherworldly kind of work that we do working with the luminous energy field around our bodies. Just everyday salmon routine daily. Yep. <laughs> That's right, right. Just our routines and stuff that couldn't be any more different than my life as a judge. I have to say, I feel like I had a, a, a another incarnation in this lifetime, which I'm so grateful for. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that had to have been um, such a, a massive shift and so many paradigms for you, you know, yeah. that, um, so now, do those worlds still intersect often, or, you know, or is, has the post-death day uh, reality kind of, is that predominant? I mean, is that, or is it like, Complete. Well, you know, it, it's beginning. I think I was pushing it away. I don't want to be anything to do with law anymore. I don't want to push it, push it away. Now I've sort of integrated the skill sets. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, use them to write the book and to teach and to, um, you know, talk with people. Sometimes people have little legal issues. I'm, don't, mm -hmm. I'm not a practicing lawyer anymore and I don't give legal advice, but I can listen to them and say, well, you might want to talk to a lawyer about this, that, or the other thing. So I'm able to use those skills in a way that's um, just a very different way, a very nice um, way to help people energetically and to help them with their lives. Yeah, it's good, good. Um, so now the book is broken down into parts. Um, and yeah. uh, there are like five, but primarily four. <laughs> but, you know, but there's yeah. a fifth there. But the four deal was the four wings medicine wheel. So tell us um, about the wheel, what, what the wheel represents, and why you chose to format your book in such a way that to highlight those. Yeah. So the four wings medicine wheel, we call it that because it was really a construct put together by Alberto Viotto, um, the, the head of the four winds um, society. And so it uses the principles of Andean medicine, but it also incorporates a little bit of North American and practices that are definitely known by Buddhists and many other religions too. And so <clears throat> when you begin shaman school, you go through the directions, at least in this wheel, we begin in the south. Other traditions might begin in the east, but we begin in the south direction. And that's because of the Southern Cross and the Southern Hemisphere. So it was a little different than what North American indigenous people do. But So the South direction is serpent medicine. Serpent medicine has to do with shedding the past the way you shed, the serpent sheds her skin. All the old stories, all the old ways of thinking, being, doing that are so heavy and that live inside of us. And so it's that process of shedding, releasing, so that you never lose them, you never forget. It's not like we have a magic eraser and we erase your mind, but you have the stories, but they no longer rule your life. They never, they no longer cause you to make bad decisions or good decisions. They just are part of your past, they're part of your memories. And then you go on to the West direction and in the Indian mythology, cosmology, jaguar. Jaguar has to do with death and dying and releasing whatever is dead and dying in us the way jaguar 
calls whatever is dead and dying in the jungle. So this has to do with karma and genetics and all the things that we came into life with, being able to release. And then we go to the north direction, and the north direction is has the archetype of the hummingbird. And hummingbird has to do with renewal, rebirth, beginning to see something new and something beautiful around us. Because we've shed the past and we've shed all the heaviness. So now, like the hummingbird, stillness in motion, drinking only from the sweetest nectar of life. Imagine that. And pursuing our soul's journey. And that's the beauty of hummingbird medicine. And then the final direction is the east direction. And that has the archetype of condor or eagle. And it has to do with destiny. Destiny retrieval. Flying high like we eagles do, wingtip to wingtip with great spirit. Eagles who never get caught in any storm, but rise above the storms, always looking for a clearing. So we want to be like, we want to be like condor eagle. So that's the concept of the medicine wheel. So we're shedding and shedding, and then we start recovering things with soul retrievals in the north. And then we do... Um, destiny retrievals in the East. So we're recovering things, parts of us, aspects of us. And so I love that so much, and I love the 16 practices so much. So in the South direction, the practices associated are non-judgment, non-suffering, non-attachment, and the beauty way. And in the West, non-doing. Oh, gosh, we just keep ourselves so busy so we don't have to think about anything. Non-engagement. It's non-collective. Now, that, 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 that doing is a tough one for, you know, in today's world, I think. Um, yeah, oh, for sure. Because but, it requires um, us to actually sit and look at what are we, what emotions are we trying to avoid by keeping busy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when we begin to ask those questions, we get insights into where we actually are hurting and experiencing pain instead of trying to gloss it over, keep it down, keep the cover on like a pressure cooker that's going to explode at some point. Yeah. Yeah, certainty. Oh, gosh. Fearlessness. Yeah. Pardon me? Yeah, that's the best. No, that was the West. We're still in the West, and this is what we're looking at to become lighter, non-engaged, non-collusion with the consensual. Are you living a life that's yours? Are you living a life that somebody else wanted for you, like me, my parents? They told me at the time, oh, you know, an archaeologist is not safe for a woman, and there's no money in it, so you should go to law school. And so here I am in law school (laughs) and looking around and saying, Although many people would envy the life that I had, I looked around and said, this isn't for me. I'm not, this is not my life. This is somebody else's life. Right? And I think many of us look at that and say, we got kind of herded and gathered and here we are living a life that doesn't feel real, doesn't feel like ours. Yeah. I think a lot. I think we were indoctrinated into that, you know, to, um, you know, follow certain paths. I mean, you know, a, a lot of it going, you know, back into, 
you know, the days of um, apprenticeship and all that kind of thing, that you're kind of expected to follow a particular path, you know. Right. But, you know, it, it, I think in a sense there is that, but um, it seems that this particular period, this last three years, um, you know, with the amount of uh, reflection kind of going on, that it seems, or that it seems to me that there is a, a significant increase in the number of people who are asking, not only asking those questions of, you know, I mean, or saying this isn't me, what is me, but also exploring or actually doing you know, something to discover what that is. Do you, do you feel yeah. that that is also, that this period has done that as well? Oh, for sure. I mean, look how many people are, it's like the fleeing the workplace. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. were at home, working at home and going, why in the world am I spending so many hours traveling back and forth to a job that so unnecessarily could be done right here at home? And what about this job? I don't even like it. And thinking the, and really sitting with these uh, big questions of life and finding out who am I, what do I want, and how can I get there? I was at a point in my life that I was able to retire and sell everything and go on the road. Not everybody can do that. But at least if you can get in touch with what you would really like to do and who you would really like to be, and you can bring that to your heart and into your heart chakra, things can begin to change in a beautiful way without you really having to struggle. You can begin to see opportunities and synchronicities that you might have missed before because you're so locked in to um, what you're doing and the mm-hmm. busyness of it all and the routine and the consensual reality that you can't even see any other options. And we know this. There's, I love this story about Joshua Bell. He was a great violinist, is a great violinist, and he, um, the Washington Post decided to do a story about having beauty appear in a non-usual way. And so he came to the metro station in Washington, D.C., dressed as a homeless person and played his, like, $4 million violin, some of the most beautiful pieces ever written for several hours. About, you know, 10 people stopped. I think he got $11 in his thing. And, you know, this is a guy that gets $200 a seat ticket. So, but we're so busy scurrying and busy, busy, got to get to work, can't be late, got to get the kids, got to get – we don't even take a moment to listen to this beautiful music being played. So that's how plugged in we get. And sometimes we need the big awakening, the cancer diagnosis, the death, the loss, all these things, COVID being at home to actually wake us up out of the, I call it the hamster wheel that we're running on, running on, running on, and and be thrown off the hamster wheel and look around and say, what am I doing here? How did I get here? And how can I change it? Yeah, how can I change it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, with the losses that, that we've had. You know, I mean, it seems that was, you know, more than 900,000 people dying from that disease in particular over the last couple of years that so many people are, are touched by it. 
Um, one of the toughest things for me when I am with someone who, you know, someone they love has passed on, um, is to know what to say or even if to say, you know, anything. Um, and, you know, and I know that you kind of have to um, tailor it to the individual and the situation and that kind of thing, but sometimes it's, um, it can be difficult. So now, for you, what, what would you, what is your, do you have a particular um, way of uh, offering condolences, I guess, you know, that that is um, kind of su supportive or, or maybe, um, I mean, because, you know, right now with, with Ben, you know, you've got this wonderful connection, this spiritual connection, yeah. you know, kind of. Yeah, so, you know, with someone who else who's lost may not have that or may never have that but or may not may get it later, but doesn't or may or may not have it then. So they don't have that. So what with your knowledge, what would you say to an individual? Um or you know, or, or what are some things to to consider when Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the the thing that I remember best is a friend of mine who just came and sat. She didn't offer any platitudes, like, everything's going to be okay. And I'm thinking, nope, it's never going to be okay. Um, <clears throat> he's in a better place. Oh, I got so tired of hearing that. Oh, well, I'm not in a better place. So it's those kind of platitudes that just don't, just don't help. I think sometimes if we can instead of desperately thinking of what to say, if we can just be. Okay. And then the other pet peeve of mine is, is not a pet peeve. I mean, people very magnetically and generously bring food, right, containers and containers, <laughs> and they fill your refrigerator with huge cakes and huge dishes, and it's all too much, right? And so um, I would say the best thing is bring something in Tupperware that you can tuck in their freezer for later. Bring, you yeah. know, a slice of cake, um, put it in the freezer, pack things up, things, bring some, you know, maybe bottled water, some drinks, some tea, iced teas, you know, things like that, small containers. Because when you're really grieving, I saw my refrigerator just packed to the rim and I didn't have the energy to go through it or think about it. Certainly not putting mm. things into Tupperware containers. And it was just a loss. And, and we all know that after about three or four days in the refrigerator, molds and things start to grow. So it's, just, it's also not very healthy. So think about, mm -hmm. you know, can I, um, how, do you have gas in the car? Can I get gas in your car? Um, do you have an errand you like to run? Do you need to, meet, to go to the post office? Is there anything I can mail for you? So, you know, this part, think about it. If you couldn't manage to drive for a while and, things that needed to get done, what what could you offer? Do you have someone yeah. to pick up some groceries? Is there something you would like to have? Can I bring you um, some groceries? Are you, do you have milk? Do you have eggs? Do you have the basics, right? So just, just little things like that. How can I be of service? And then just sit. You know, we're so in this Western mindset, we're so afraid of silence. We have to fill yeah. it, fill it, fill it. If you can just sit, sit and hold someone's hand for a few minutes, 
is fantastic. Yeah. And that was kind of, you know, when I said, you know, what to say or not, you know, because, um, you know, sometimes, um, you know, all those platitudes, you know, I mean, you know, I had someone recently pass on um, during COVID and, and, and I'm in the South, so you're talking about food. I mean, you know, there was plenty of casseroles. I mean, right. It's a stereotype, but I mean, it's a fact. <laughs> you know, also the, the stereotype based on, you know, actual behavior. And, um, but, uh, you know, and it was, it was, it was too much, you know, and, and, um, you know, I ended up, um, giving it, you know, giving it to people who could, um, you know, use, use it. So, but, um, but also, with your story, it's kind of like, you know, because their food, you put the date on it and, and cooking instructions. Right. What it is, it's cooking instructions. Well, the thing is to organize that for somebody because I certainly was no condition to even think about giving food away. So, would you like to give something mm-hmm. away? Can I take this somewhere for you? Can I do this for you? You know, take the burdens of daily life off them. Of the, the people that are grieving is what I suggest. Yeah, absolutely. So now, there was one point in your book you talked about honoring the deceased, you know, through the yeah. Uh, so, um, can you tell us a little bit about um, your view of the importance of that? Yeah, but, you know, I think we all carry them in our hearts, and we think, how can I? It's a way of remembrance, and it's a way of reconnecting and connecting. And so, um, for me, it, this, it was writing the book in his honor. And some other people I know um, have contributed to make, uh, um, uh, what's it called, Alcon or Narcon, Narcon, um, the drug for yeah, for, for, for people who are, have overdosed. So there's so mm-hmm. many good organizations that you can join and be part of and it's it's like this continuing memory and also part of the honoring is also creating a new life for yourself out of the ashes of the old one clinging to your old one as ben tells me i have um, eight things spirits on this other side wish you knew and this is by ben and he's told me these eight things and one of the eight things is as you are stuck in your grief and despair they, too, are stuck and can't move on and do the things that they mm-hmm. are are in front of them on the other side. So we're connected. And people say, well, how is it that, I mean, how can they, if, they, if they're fully gone and they've crossed over and they're in heaven or nirvana or wherever it is, um, and I say, well, it's not jail over there, you know. <laughs> they can come and go. And they see <laughs> us and they're arrested. Right, it's not prison. They didn't get a prison sentence. And so they come and go, and they see us in our great despair. Just like Ben, I could feel him fluttering over me if I was in such great despair. And as I was able to move out of my despair, it it allowed him, too, to move on. And so one of the most recent contacts is only a 27-year-old guy can tell you, you know what? On his birthday, I'm sad, and then I miss you, and blah, 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 and I would like to have, you know, how are you, and all that. And it says something like, Mom, quit ringing my doorbell. Um, I'm in the Jesus pod right now. Jesus is real. And, you know, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> right? And 
And so, I mean, what better thing could a mother ever hear that their son is happy on the other side and don't bother me, I'm, you know, I'm off with my friends in the Jesus pod. Okay, right? Okay, whatever. And uh, so as we loosen the reins, and, and, you know, sometimes we're enculturated that the more we show our suffering, the more it shows our love. To, the, to our loved ones, but they already know, and we don't have to prove anything to them, and certainly not to anybody around us. And sometimes I feel like there's a lot of pressure. You can't win. Oh, she sure seems to get to have gotten over that crack quickly, or oh my gosh, she yeah. never got over that, right? So you can't win, so you might as well allow yourself to be who you are. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, and, you know, that's the, the one thing I, I like about the book is it, it, um, just shows, you know, like different ways of, um, different ways of viewing things, uh, you know, different perspectives that are, you know, kind of, I, I get down to the embracing you know, embracing that, you know, as, as an opportunity for change, you know, that it is. Yeah. You know, rather than, you know, allowing, allowing things to unfold. Um, yeah, I, I well, get so many letters from people who, who've used the exercises in my book and who have maybe suffered for years and years and years with yeah. their grief and said, oh, gosh, this is like a breath of fresh air, a different way to look at it. I didn't have to be stuck. I could... I could use these ways and and create something new and and still feel like I was honoring my loved ones. So it's it's freedom. It's freedom. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the last chapter in the book says transcendent. Yeah. Transcendent. <laughs> so, well, well, Karen, thank you for your time today. You know, and, and I just you know I think that it's a very. Um, noble thing for you to do to tell I mean sure you know you know Ben's story you know it's good to tell Ben's story but I mean beyond the individual story you know of you know of Ben you and Ben um it I think opens up the the doors for other people you know to yeah because you know when it comes to overdose you know, in heroin, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's a sad fact that it's such a prevalent problem, in, you know, in today's yeah. world. But for people who are, you know, the breed, the ones that are left behind, I mean, it can be, um, it can be so much judgment with that where there really doesn't, there yeah. shouldn't be. And the opioid and fentanyl crisis has increased 30% during the, over the course of this COVID time because Treatment centers and facilities have shut down. People have lost jobs. And so we have this two crises going on at the same time. We've got COVID, but we also have overdose deaths that are just uh, skyrocketing. And uh, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of pain and hurt out there. Yeah, yeah. So it's important that if people you know, are experiencing you know, that depression or, or, or having thoughts, expressing some sort of spiral. Uh, to, to address them, but you know, in, in some cases, the, the people who are going through the, the, the drug issue hide it well. <laughs> you know, yeah, people around them would never have guessed what was going right. on. So it's kind of kind of, of, of behavioral kind of changes and stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah. And mm-hmm. then sometimes we're watching our loved ones slip slide down the slope of addiction and mm-hmm. it's, it's very painful. Yeah. Very painful to watch that too. It is. So. And, and, you know, again, it's there, you know, they're making their choices and you can only be your loving self, you know, and, and be there and support us uh, um, as much as possible. But, um, give them the freedom to choose their destiny. <laughs> but, yeah, Karen, and then, I, you know, I, oh, yes, yeah, thank you. I was just going to say, yeah, we're, we're at the end of the show. So I just want to thank you for your time today. I really enjoy speaking with you. And, again, this is a very important topic, and and you're really shedding a lot of light um, on some really challenging situations that people are going through. So thank you for, for doing that. Oh, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. You, you're very welcome. Again, everyone, today my special guest has been Karen B. Johnson. And we have been talking about her new book, Living, Grieving, Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief and Loss. Um, it's a great book. Definitely go out and get it and, and um, read it and be prepared for any pain or grief that you or someone that you can help will be experiencing. So, uh, again, the book is Living, Grieving. Um, you can find out more by visiting Karen's website, which is karenjohnson.net. And everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Blog Talk Radio, Amazon Music, and Audible. To follow our show on any of those platforms, Visit ByteRadio.me and select the one you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.